What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. This is the one-stop shop for all things coaching, and we do not stop at training and nutrition. We go much deeper, and we cover all things personal development because that is my goal with this show. It is to coach you through your speakers and help you develop into the best person possible. If you're new to this show, please hit the subscribe button so you can be constantly updated. We drop episodes three times a week and scroll down into the show notes and check out the top four episodes rated by you, the listener. That's going to be the nutrition FAQ, the training FAQ, my personal journey into fitness and nutritional periodization, which is a topic I am very passionate about. Today's episode is a Q&A, one of my favorites, and we have a ton of fantastic questions today. Um, and we actually have a lot of questions centered around specific nutrition struggles. So people actually sending in their scenarios, their specific situation as to why they're at a plateau, why they can't see success, how they should periodize your plan. And it made me want to mention this because I think it's a really cool way for you, the listener, to get specific guidance on your help. So if you're listening to this and you want help, but you do not have a coach, I can be that coach for, for you with this podcast. And what I want you to do is head over to boomboomperformance.com slash podcast and fill out the form. You put your name, your email, and you ask me a question. It comes right to my email. You don't get added to a list or anything like that. You, it just comes right to my email, and then I can do one of two things. A, I can literally answer your question in email. So if it's very specific and I want to give you some personalized attention without putting it on the podcast, I will do so by emailing you back because I'm always open to helping people. And two, I will answer it on the podcast in massive detail, whether I email you back or not. So um, I think this is a really cool way for us to diversify the type of questions we're getting, but I also think it's a really cool way for you, the listener, to be specifically and personally helped in your situation. And if you don't want your name put on the podcast, simply put wish to be unknown. And you can ask me any question and I will answer it as specifically and as individually as possible on this podcast. Guys, if you love this show, if I'm helping you in any way, please do me a huge, huge favor by heading over to iTunes, clicking search, type in Boom Boom Formats Podcast because that's the only way you can do this, even if you're already subscribed, and leave us a five-star rating and review. That's how this podcast continues to grow and reach people, and it means the world to me when I see those reviews. The second way you can help me is head over to Instagram, take a screenshot of the show, and post it on your story. Tag myself, at Cody.BoomBoom, so I can see who is listening to it, and I can thank you for spending this time learning with me today. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to the Q&A. All right, so today's first question, Michael Balboa, which fitness gurus slash social media inspirations do you find to be the most objective and consistent? Hmm. I don't like the term guru. Um, I mean, if we look at the literal definition, I believe it's a spiritual teacher, so it really has nothing to do with this at all. But um, a, a guru has become somebody that is, it's almost like a joke, right? Oh, they're a guru, quote unquote. They're, they're almost like guruing you. They're trying to, they're, they're making false claims or false beliefs. That's, I mean, that's not what a guru, guru is. A guru is supposed to be a professional educator. It's a spiritual teacher in certain religions, but I believe if you uh, Google search the definition, what I would assume comes up is yes, the spiritual teachers inside of like Buddhism and Hinduism and stuff like that. But then also I believe there is some um, definition along the lines of an educator. So it technically is proper. I just don't technically like the term because I feel like it is turned into this thing that's like a bad thing. Like it's like almost bad to be a guru because gurus are trying to guru you. They're trying to get you to believe something that's false proclaimed, um, which is not the reality of the case. And this is kind of a complete rant, not answering your question. But um, anyway, 
So who, like, which fitness guru, social media and fitness inspirations do you find to be the most objective and consistent? Um, that's tough. You know, like, there's a lot of people I follow and look to for guidance and advice. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call them gurus. I would call them, or inspirations, to be honest with you. They're my inspiration, but they're not really, I don't follow or, or like, really look into or look up to a lot of, quote-unquote, fitness inspirations. Um, like there's a few people that I would say play that role that I'm friends with that obviously I look up to as a person cause I know them behind the scenes. But as far as people I look to for advice, guidance, uh, guruism and stuff like that, I mean, I'm thinking more like Eric Helms, uh, Greg Knuckles, um, yeah, people like that. I mean, all the guys in 3DMJ really, uh, Danny Lennon. Uh, people that are more fitness-based practitioners, Dr. Andy Galpin, Brad Dieter, like those people are, are researchers and they're practice, uh, they're evidence-based practitioners. And I'm not even going to their Instagram to seek their information. I'm going to podcasts, research reviews, actual research publications, books, things like that. But those are the people that I find to be the most consistent and objective. And they put a lot of content out, but those are the people that are taking real real work, real evidence, real research, and they're putting it out there for people to, uh, I guess, take for themselves and use it in a practical way. Some of it's not always practical. That's why I try to play my role as somebody who can interpret this for the general population or the people who may not be comfortable reading real research. Um, I try to play that role as best I can being a coach. Um, so I kind of find myself being the bridge to that gap, right? Like these people are doing evidence and research inside the labs. They're doing the work that I can take, use as fuel, and then use in practice with the general population that I can touch. So um, anyway, those are the people that come to mind for me. Um, fix my mic real quick, sorry. If I were to think of somebody who is an inspiration, like I'm always going to throw Kaiza out there. Um, Kaiza is a good friend of mine. I actually just ran into her. Um, we live in the same area. So um, I'm always going to throw her up. She is a fitness inspiration. Uh, she's an Instagram uh, celebrity at this point. But she's a very real and authentic and motivational and inspiring individual. Like when you meet her in person, she is off the charts with inspiration and motivation and belief and uh, positivity. So in authenticity, I have to throw that one out there for sure because she's really just who she is. Um, so I throw her out there for sure. Um, I throw Jeff Nippert out there too. I think Jeff Nippert does a really great job, again, of bridging that gap, kind of like I said I do, but he is on a more of an influencer level, I would say, than a coaching level. I'm not sure if he coaches people anymore or not. Um, I know that's not his main gig. YouTubing is his main gig. That's how he makes his money. Um, but that's also his passion, and I, I find it really inspiring how he has taken uh, his passion for bodybuilding and science in use that to fuel a career in YouTubing, which is very hard to do, um, especially because YouTube was has always been something that is more along the lines of short, intense, cool, uh, motivational videos and stuff like that. Like to be successful, you're kind of more on those lines. And he came out with a science-based approach um, from, from a natural bodybuilding standpoint and just absolutely dominated the field. Like he has one of the um, biggest YouTube channels there is now with over a million subscribers. So um, really, really like him, especially because uh, he coached me actually. So I worked with Jeff years ago. Um, I think he had maybe 30,000 subscribers on his YouTube. Like it wasn't huge at all. It was still 
good. It might have been 13,000. There was a three in there. I don't remember. But it was a long time ago. He, he, coaching was his main thing at that point. Um, I don't even think I found him from YouTube. I think I found him from somebody else. Um, I think a friend of a friend or something. But I connected with him. He coached me through a photo shoot prep. Um, really down-to-earth dude. Uh, got on some calls with him. Like I just really found him to be uh, very intelligent and very down-to-earth. And then to watch him grow and build into this fucking massive platform on YouTube. Um, and he's so intelligent that he's able to really put out some high-quality content. Um, he's absolutely the most commonly watched YouTube channel by myself and the most commonly recommended YouTube channel that I recommend to people because it's such great content. It's interesting. It's actually entertaining to watch because it has a vlog feel in it, but it's so informative that it's not like you're just watching a blog, a vlog. Um, like no disrespect to like Christian Guzman or anything because um, I actually would actually put him up here in the social – because I feel like when you say fitness gurus and then it says slash social media inspirations – uh, I look at, you know, like Eric Helms, Eric Trexler, Greg Knuckles, Mike Zordos, um, Danny Lennon, uh, Eric Helms, if I didn't say him already. People like that, I look at those individuals as fitness gurus. Those are the people that are in the research, right? Brett Contreras, doc, doc, uh, Dr. Andy Galpin, uh, James Krieger. These people are doing research. They're in the labs. They're doing reviews. Those people are fitness gurus to me because they know so much. They're such a wealth of knowledge. And to, to the highest level, to the highest degree that you can push fitness and nutrition knowledge, that, that's what those guys are achieving. Um, and they put out so much content for me to absorb, some that I pay monthly f- to absorb, but it's, that's like, those are the gurus I look up to social media inspirations. I look at it a little bit differently. I look at those people as people who are using social media as a main platform to motivate individuals to do more with their lives, to get in shape and stuff like that. I find that Jeff Nippert is a good bridge between the gap. And I think that's why he's one of my favorites for sure. And I've, I've, uh, coached with him in the past. So like, I kind of have a personal connection to him. Um, but as far as social media inspirations as a whole, like solely, I would definitely throw Kai's up there. Um, I would throw Christian Guzman up there. Like the thing is I don't watch a ton of his videos because they're not super informative. They're more lifestyle vlogs about like how he lives his life, which is great. It's just not what I choose to consume. Um, but that dude motivates the fuck out of me. I mean, he has built a crazy empire with his clothing company and with his following and everything based off of just vlogging his physique contest prep. Like literally that's how it all started when he was in college. Then he started coaching people for dirt cheap and it just grew into this massive thing. He's really, I think he's younger than me um, and he's doing what he's doing. So it's just crazy, man. I would definitely throw him up there as an inspiration just from a business and a motivation standpoint, because I mean, fuck if, if you need belief, look what that dude's achieved. Um, but it's hard to say, um, but the people who are most obje- – if I had to put one researcher out there, one fitness guru, I'd probably say Eric Helms. I think he's the most well-versed across all um, subjects as far as nutrition, cardio, supplementation, training, powerlifting, body – like the dude knows so much in every area, so he would be up there at the top. Rhiannon Healy, if a stressed-out client – client's goal is weight loss, but it's only their body fat percentage going down. Would you expect a scale weight drop once they get their stress under control? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if it would be as so much as like, like obviously like if you get your stress under control, cortisol is going to drop and you're going to have a drop in water retention. So I would absolutely expect the scale to drop once they get their stress under control, but it might just be from fluids. So 
but you'll what you'll see is like so like let's say the body fat percentage is going down so they are seeing progress but they're super stressed out two things come to my mind number one how how are you determining the body fat percentage is going down because that may be inaccurate um, and the reason I say that is because if stress is super high, meaning you're retaining water, like a lot of water because you're stressed, that means cortisol is really high. I would say your fat loss isn't going to be dropping that fast that you're going to see percentage drops on a weekly basis, um, if at all. Because if stress is super high, your body's going to have a tough time dropping uh, fat. And if it's dropping fat, but you're not losing weight, one of two things are happening. Either A, you're retaining more and more water to match that. Or you're building muscle in the process, recomping. But if again, if cortisol is high because stress is super high, you're probably not going to be building muscle. So I doubt any of that would happen. In my mind, you might have an inaccurate way of tracking body fat percentage because it's damn near impossible to get an accurate one unless you're doing a DEXA. And even that can be iffy. Um, I'll, I'll link a blog that I wrote on the truth about body fat scanners. And they're just unfortunately unpredictable and inaccurate. It's, uh, it is unfortunate because I wish there was a really accurate way for us testing it, but that's why like I'm getting ready for a photo shoot prep and I'm going to do a DEXA again, but that's because I did one post-surgery. I I came in right after crutches and I did one to see where my muscle mass went. Um, and I'm going to see a big change because I'm separating them six months apart. Like most studies show that if you're going to use DEXAs at least three months, but ideally like six plus months apart is, and you do it under the same circumstances. So I actually went ahead and wrote down the date, the day of the week, my macros the day before, my macros the day of, what I ate for breakfast that day, what I ate the night before, because I'm literally going to duplicate almost the exact same thing to a T to make sure that all variables are controlled going into that DEXA. Um, now, you don't have to go that far. <laughs> That's a little meticulous, but I like doing the science stuff of this, and I'm making a little experiment out of it. But for the most part, I mean, like, shit, I'm getting ready for a photo shoot, and we're pictures every week, measurements every two to three weeks, and weight, like, and biofeedback, and that's really it. Like, I don't think you need anything else, but if your weight's not dropping, but your quote-unquote body fat actually would be dropping, um, I would expect a scale drop once the stress is under control, but it would be pretty much all water and fluid that you would drop. However, if you are that stressed out that you're retaining that much water, I would assume once it's under control, you would get an initial big bump down from water just flushing out and you'll will no longer be retaining water and then you would see an uptick in weekly rate of weight loss from fat because stress is finally under control so i hope that answers that right amanda sugan really enjoying nutrition for fat loss series uh in part five periodization especially how would you program 16 months for bulking gaining for someone on a petite frame who has successfully lost weight slash fat and is feeling deflated, skin and bones look, and wants to come out of the 16 months with muscle tone and gain lean, not shredded, for the 10th anniversary vacation. I'm totally okay with bulking for about a year and cutting only if absolutely necessary to maximize gains. That would leave me six months to cut slowly and reverse back to maintenance. Um, yeah, so... The way I would periodize this um, for a female who is skinny now, uh, who feels deflated, you so like in this scenario, like I'm just obviously I don't know for sure because I can't see your picture right here. I don't I didn't coach you to this point, but what I would assume is like you're at this point where you've lost the weight, you're at a good body weight, um, you're at a good body fat level, but you don't have a bunch of muscle mass, and you kind of feel 
either skinny or skinny fat. And this is kind of the point where um, we, and I see this actually quite often. This is something I try to avoid with clients or I try to talk to clients about. And it's a hard discussion to have because there's a lot of people who want to lose, 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 lose uh, because they're at a point where they could lose a little bit of fat, but if they lost a little bit of fat, they would look skinny. And then it's not sustainable. And then they're frustrated because they don't look how they would want to look. So they fall off uh, for a little bit. They come back and then boom, they're at this point again where they're not lean enough. So they want to lose weight. But if they lose weight, they're going to go through the same cycle again. These people need to accept that having a little bit of body fat on your body is okay. Spend time gaining muscle and then cut. This is exactly what I did. I lost a ton of weight because I just wanted to get lean and I got lean, but I was skinny fat. And I was like, why do I not look like I expected to look? So then I put myself in a surplus and I spent probably a fucking year just trying to build muscle. And I built a lot of muscle. And then I came back to do a cut and I looked absolutely shredded. In fact, I got on stage and it was a completely different look this time. But it's because I spent time building muscle. You have to spend time building muscle in between. It doesn't mean you have to gain fat in that process, but you can't expect to get leaner. So what I would say, if you're at that point, I would, if I had somebody that came to me, they're like, hey, I just dieted. I'm finished with my diet, but I'm, I'm lean I'm at a lightweight, but I don't look uh, like dense and hard and athletic like I want to. My first go-to is going to be, okay, let's bring you up to maintenance, um, your new maintenance. Because remember, after going through a diet, you're probably going to get to a point where your maintenance calories is lower than your original maintenance calories that when you started because your new maintenance is changed through adaptive thermogenesis, adaptive metabolism. Because as you lower your calories, your metabolism adapts, your maintenance calories lowers as you diet and as you get leaner and as you lose weight and as you eat less calories. So now that you're at your goal, we can bring you up a little bit, but it usually means like, hey, let's bump calories up five to 10% and see what happens. Now, there's two different scenarios here. If you come to me in this position and you're hormonally really hurting too, meaning you come to me, you're like, hey, I lost this weight. I'm ready to build muscle, but I haven't had my period in a while. Um, I'm really stressed. I'm sleeping like shit. I'm not seeing PRs in the gym, so on and so forth. If you come to me at that point, then I'm going to say, hey, we need to do a recovery diet. I'm going to bump your calories up like 20 to 25% right out the gate. You are going to put on a few pounds of fat, and I'm going to let that be okay because we need to get you hormonally feeling well or else you're not going to see any progress no matter how high we bring up calories. There's this kind of a phenomenon that happens when if you're in a hormonally compromised place after a diet, if you reverse diet too slowly out the gates – then you're not going to kickstart those hormones again. You're not going to see biofeedback improvements at all because you went too slow. So in order to get you out of a diet and actually feeling, get you feeling good metabolically and hormonally, we need to give you a big bump in calories right out the gate to get your metabolism and your hormones thriving, and then you can slow down the reverse. So it might look like coming out of this, like, boom, let's bump you up really quick, give you an extra 20% calories, you probably put on a couple pounds of fat, we're going to wait a few weeks, let you feel good, and then we're going to do a really slow, moderate reverse to get you to a higher caloric intake, a higher maintenance, or a, a, even a surplus while not gaining any fat. We'll do a reverse diet at that point. Um, but if you come to me and you're like, I feel fine. I'm not, I'm not hurting like that. And I don't feel like you dieted for too long to where you're in a compromised place. Then I'm going to reverse diet you so you can stay lean. But I'm going to reverse diet you to a new maintenance. So we're going to slowly bring calories up, um, find your new maintenance. Then we're going to stay at the new maintenance for probably like two to four weeks just to reset. Um, what I think some people do is they will finish a diet. They'll reverse 
to their maintenance and then they'll just keep reversing up and then they start gaining weight. So they're like, man, this reverse diet's working really well. I've been adding calories every single week and I'm not gaining any weight. And then a couple months goes by and boom, they make a small adjustment and they start gaining a ton of weight. If that's the case, you just went just past your maintenance. So just pull back a little bit. So go, go, go until you start gaining some weight, pull back just a hair, just that last adjustment and then sit there. The reason you're going to sit there is because this is probably your new maintenance. And before we start gaining, quote unquote, let's reestablish your body settling point. This is very anecdotal and more based off experience, but not only experience from me, but also from other coaches that are highly respected in the industry. And what we have found is that if we can sit at maintenance for a little bit at this point, you're probably going to create a new body fat and body weight settling point. This is kind of where your body likes to sit, right? We all have that weight range. It's like a one, it's like a five pound range of where your body really just feels comfortable sitting. Sometimes it's a little bit heavier than we enjoy. And the only way we're going to break through that and set a new set point is to get shredded, not not necessarily get shredded, but sometimes aggressively, sometimes just consistently and patiently over time, but basically break through that settling point to a new low and then maintain that new low. So now we have to reverse just barely up to uh, your new maintenance and then stay at that new maintenance control stress, control sleep, control recovery, control training, sit there for a good at least two weeks, but I up to all the way up to six weeks. It's all depending on the person. Everybody's metabolism is a little bit more adaptive um, than others. So we just sit there until we feel like we're fully adapted and this new set point is kind of set. And then from there, we can start reverse dieting again to get you into a small surplus. The surplus you want to be in from your true maintenance is going to be like, I'm talking 100 calories, maybe. You don't need – like the only time you really need to go over that is either A, uh, you're looking for faster progress. Um, So this is like a case like I have a guy right now who we've been lean gaining, uh, but his metabolism adapts so quick that his weight just keeps coming down no matter how many calories he's added. And at this point, it's like, hey, we're going to sacrifice some fat. We're going to hit the pedal to the metal. We're going to add a bunch of calories. We're going to get you gaining weight faster, and then we're going to pull back and do mini cuts every – 12 to 16 weeks, um, kind of like a Mike Israetel approach because for him, that's the only way he's going to gain size and gain weight because we can just keep inching his calories up slowly. But the reality is, is his metabolism just going to keep regulating it. Um, so there's that. Uh, the other thing is, is as a natural lifter or somebody who's lifting for a long time, even as a male, I can't expect to gain more than 1.5 pounds of muscle. And that's on a really good month, more like a half a pound of muscle a month. Um, so for that, you don't need that many calories. And there's a lot of studies that show there's, there was a research review that came out. They titled uh, The Tortoise Beat the Hare. And it's basically suggesting this exact thing. Like we can go really fast, but the problem with that is, is you're going to gain – so much extra body fat in the process of going fat in which if you cut that off later, it's going to be a net balance of the same. Whereas if you would have gone slow, you could have just kept slowly gaining and not even had to cut. So I'm going to suggest people in your scenario, reverse up to maintenance, maintain that for a little bit, and then just barely get into a surplus, especially as a female, you're not going to build a ton of muscle quick. So just barely get up to above maintenance, get into a very small surplus And then just sit there and just be patient and just bodybuild and just focus on building muscle. Like that's the best thing you can do. Um, It's it's such a patient game, patience game, and it can be frustrating. But the reality is, is that's the best solution. Very rarely do I suggest people take a fast track to gains. Um, Lean gaining is usually the best strategy. Just find your sweet spot of a small surplus and just ride it and just keep gaining. Um, And if your metabolism does adapt to it after a while, you just add a little bit more calories. But it's a patience game. Fat loss is a lot quicker. 
Next question is from Adrian Ling. Can you talk more about these photo sessions you have for yourself and your clients? Is this a goal that you suggest for, for if you don't want to get on stage? Do clients do this that aren't Instagram models? Um, yes, they do this if they're not Instagram models. Um, so for me, I really enjoy bodybuilding, um, but I don't necessarily have the motive or desire to get on stage and get a tan and, and, uh, and I don't have the time to do posing lessons. To be honest with you, that's probably the biggest thing is posing is fucking hard. Like, um, it's funny, Caroline's getting ready to do a bikini competition and she was just telling me like how hard posing is and it's very difficult and it takes practice um i I mean i went to classes i practiced on a weekly basis and then eventually a daily basis when i did my first physique show um at this point i've completely forgot how to pose um and it's just to me i I literally physically don't have the time and energy to go and practice posing right now in my life uh not saying that i'll never get on stage again or do that i just have so much going on with business uh in my family that it just doesn't make sense i'd rather spend that extra time training hard and focusing on dieting because that's what i love Um, but that being said i absolutely love bodybuilding i love the science of bodybuilding Um, i love body composition changes like i'm just so fascinated by fat loss and muscle gain that I do photo shoots because it gives me a motivation to make those changes. I usually do I, – now, I do multiple photo shoots throughout the year, but they're not all like shirtless shredded ones. Those are like for content, right? Um, it's very rare, like once a year at most. Um, the last time I got like really, really lean for a photo shoot was two or three years ago. Um, and I actually think that is when I was working with Jeff Nippard. Um, and I've done – eight photo shoots since then just to get content right and the last one I did was last year um I got pretty damn lean but I didn't get as lean as I wanted to so last year my plan was to get really shredded um and I think stress was just too high with a growing business and things like that that it just made the prep for it really hard right now I'm going back at it and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get as lean as I can for this next one um and I feel way more confident because I'm ready I'm more ready this far out than I was last time at a higher caloric intake because I took care of my body between the time and that rest that I had after surgery, I think did my body and my nervous system really well. Um, I reverse dieted out of that and kept my calories high and my stress and my lifestyle is way lower now than it was last time. So for me, it's just like a good time to do it. And I love, I'm fascinated with the science behind getting shredded and then building muscle and periodizing that, you know, and like, I'm already planning like, okay, what's my reverse diet going to look like? What's my lean gain season going to look like? Um, what's the, when's the next cut going to be? Um, I I like that stuff. I'm in this for the long haul. So I can look at the next three years and think about my physique and be excited. So that's why I do it. Um, my clients do it because I think it's an, it's an uh, objective goal. Like I have, uh, uh, some clients that want to get on stage. I have some clients that just want to do photo shoots. Um, it's, it's a way, it's a motivation. It's a deadline. It's a goal that you can objectively check off to get really fucking lean. Um, and it's just a cool thing. Like I have uh, a lot of clients that are not Instagram models or don't pose on Instagram that do it too, because it just gives them that objective goal of like, okay, this is the deadline. This is the cutoff. Um, I want to do, uh, what are those things called? A boudoir or I'm butchering the shit out of it. A bunch of women listeners are going to laugh. But those type of shoots, they do them for their husbands and stuff like that. 
um, that's like a really cool goal to strive for and they want to look great for it. Um, I have people that do it for weddings uh, and they're going to have a photo shoot during wedding. They're not going to be half naked, but they still want to be as lean as possible. And so sometimes it's just good to have that objective goal. Um, and sometimes I will suggest it to people who want to get on stage, but I don't think mentally should get on stage. So I've had clients in the past that are like, okay, I want to do another show. And I talk to them. I'm like, Hey, what's the why behind this? Like, are you getting on stage because you think it's going to, uh, fix an insecurity or you think it's going to fix the, the like emptiness behind the goals, or it's going to give you some goal that's going to fulfill some feeling inside of you. Cause I've been there and I've, I've worked with a lot of people that have tried that. And I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. Like you're going to get on stage. It's going to be over. And then that feeling's going to go away. Like I'm a firm believer that people should compete in bodybuilding or physique sport. If they enjoy the sport um, because those are the people that do show after show after show and they don't have eating disorders or mental issues from it because they love the sport. They know they're going to gain a little weight afterwards, but they're happy for that because it means they can gain muscle and then they can come back on stage next time looking even better. Like that's a sport mindset. Um, I think if you're going on stage to simply try to fill a void or try to fulfill a goal or try to impress somebody or, or get yourself to a certain, like, I think that's just, I don't think it's a good why. I think a photo shoot's a much safer route because you don't have to get as lean for a photo shoot. Um, and you're still like, the thing is you're still shredded for a photo shoot. It's like a difference of like 2% body fat, but it's, it's the difference of 2% body fat when you're at such a low percentage of body fat that that 2% is massive changes in your body and it's massive changes in your hormonal adaptation as well. So I think it's a safer route and it's a really cool route that anybody can do without having to be a quote unquote bodybuilder. Um, so yeah, it's just a goal. I think it's really cool. And I'm just, I'm into the science of bodybuilding. I, I love it. Barry Vincent currently on a upper lower push pull leg split by far my favorite split. Looking, I said that, not him. Looking to start including exercises like hang cleans, high pulls, and push presses. How and where would you recommend doing so? Um, hang cleans and high pulls, I would absolutely put on the upper lower days. I think the best way to periodize this type of split is going to be a um, upper lower max effort day. So since you're doing just upper and just lower, the volume in nature is going to be less because you only have so much time to hit your entire upper body versus a push session, which you're focusing on less of your upper body. So I would spend max effort days on those days. And then I would take a full rest day on Wednesday because those are going to be way more neurologically taxing. So I would go Monday, Tuesday, upper, lower, and I would put hang cleans and push presses on those days. Um, what you could do is you could make your max effort upper body lift a push press, and you could put the hang clean either before that as an explosive movement to kind of prime your nervous system before doing the heavy push press, or you could put the hang clean on the lower body day, even though there's going to be some upper body work in there. It's some trap work, but it's also a lot of hip, hip extension. Um, and I would say the same thing for high pulls. Um, so I guess you could put high pulls on that day, hang cleans on the first day, but you could, for example, you could do on upper body. If you're doing hang cleans from the hip, I would probably put those on the upper body day as like a neural primer. And then you follow that up with push presses as your compound lift and then go into accessory work afterwards on the lower body day. I would do high pulls as your neural primer. Um, and I would start from a little bit lower than a hang. You could still do hang, but do it from like blocks or do it at least from just below the knee, not from the floor. So you're not getting that full, um, hip flexion. 
but just really focusing on explosive hip drive and extension. So do that on the lower body day as a neural primer and then follow that up with either deadlifts or heavy squats as your compound lift of the day. Take Wednesday off and then push-pull legs would be very specifically hypertrophy work. So these days are going to be higher rep. They're going to be more accessory work, more isolation, more bodybuilding style stuff. Um, but that's exactly how I would do it. I love that split. It's very versatile. I think it's a great way to get a lot of volume in while still maximizing recovery. Um, I like a upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, so six days a week, or a push-pull legs, push-pull legs split um, six days a week. But I find that you can't do these long-term unless you're in a very high surplus. Um, if you're doing strictly bodybuilding work, so you're staying away from any low-rep training, like six reps or less, everything is like not light because you should never be just lifting light because you have to push the effort inside of any rep range for it to be effective. But if you're doing just hypertrophy work as in like 8 to 20 rep ranges, it's more pump-based stuff. It's, it's more isolation work. You're not doing things like hang cleans or hard deadlifts from the floor and stuff that are very neurologically taxing. I think those six-day-a-week splits can be great. Uh, for me, I really enjoy a little bit of explosive work and I really enjoy some uh, – I always have to have some heavy lifting. My body responds better when I have uh, at least a couple days or at least a lift per day where I'm doing like – the four to six rep range, and I'm going as heavy as I can, um, that max effort zone, uh, my body just responds better. I think a lot of people's do as well when you do a combo of both. And when you do that, six days a week is just brutal. You can get away with like a single block, like doing it for three, four, maybe five weeks, and then a deload on six week. Um, but then you got to switch back to like a four or five day split. I think doing too much six day training, unless it's all that hypertrophy, high rep zone, I think it's just going to smash your nervous system. You're going to be super fatigued. So the upper lower push pull leg split is a great way to get a ton of volume, but still have enough recovery to manage it. That's what I'm doing right now. In fact, I'm doing uh, muscle by science, which is in the boom, boom elite. I will drop a link to that in the show notes, guys, if you are interested in getting the best programs online and the descriptions, the videos, the education, the seminars, the webinars, everything I put out in an exclusive manner that is only available inside the Boom Boom Elite. If you want all that and you want smart training on a daily basis, this is your place to go. You can also do the exact same training that I am doing which this one is called Muscle by Science. That's the place that I put my programs. It's the best place to go online, in my opinion. I would love for you to join me and work out with me. Link is in the show notes. Nikki Ross, how would you go uh, – hold on. How would one go about doing an elimination diet as a vegetarian? Would they have to include fish slash meat in order to hit the protein requirements or should they not worry about hitting specific macros during the elimination and just focus on, non, on eating non-reactive foods? That one's tough. So I would say like number one, if you have a body composition goal and you're doing an elimination diet because of that, then you're doing the elimination diet for the incorrect reasons. Um, therefore, I would say if your goal is aesthetics, if your goal is body composition and you are – attempting to do an elimination diet because you have an intolerance, I wouldn't even suggest doing a full-blown elimination diet. I would just prioritize the one thing that you're not consuming. But at the same time, like if you're a vegetarian, you're damn near doing it. Just cut out processed grains and you're, you're on an elimination diet. So basically, if you're a vegetarian and you are having intolerance issues, we can almost pinpoint it and just say, hey, it's grains. It pretty much is grains. Um, it could be soy, I guess, could be beans. But now you're eliminating damn near everything and you're becoming a, uh, what is it, a pestitarian is that when you just eat produce i'm gonna look it up i don't even know how to spell that i think that's what it is um 
Maybe it's not. Hmm. Um, anyway, no, a pescetarian eats fish. I don't know what that is. What is it called? Let me know, guys. What is it called when you only eat veggies and fruit? There is a name for that. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, like if somebody, if I had a vegetarian client and they were like, hey, I have a lot of gut issues. I need to do an elimination diet. How would you want me to approach this? I wouldn't even be worrying about calories or macros. I would be like, hey, we're going to do this for 30 days, probably no longer than that because you don't really need to do it for more than 30 days. And during this 30 days, we're going to dramatically lower training volume and intensity if you're training hard um, because your protein is going to be really low. Because like you said, you would have to include fish or meat to continue seeing aesthetic changes while doing a uh, an elimination diet. Um, or you have to drop training volume because you wouldn't have sufficient enough protein to maintain muscle mass and recovery while training. So I would suggest that. Um, now, again, if, if you're somebody listening to this and you were thinking about doing an elimination diet for aesthetic purposes, body composition reasons, it's not the right way to, reason to do it. Elimination diet is strictly for those who need to fix a gut intolerance or some kind of food intolerance that is disturbing their gut and digestive health. Otherwise, there's just no reason to do it. Kaylee Montoya Say you have a coaching client who is against the idea of tracking macros or calories. How do you adjust their nutrition in order to keep seeing progress? How do you as a coach measure their daily, weekly intake? Um, so the best way, the approach is usually to set up like guidelines. Um, set up guidelines, focus on like a handful style diet um, and really just prioritize accountability and support. Like the best thing to do is like, hey, like, if we're not going to track macros, we need to have some kind of a plan because if we are not planning, we, we have no path towards success. We have no way of determining what our outcome is actually going to be. Therefore, what I need you to do is make sure that you're writing out on a journal or a piece of paper or on your phone what you're going to consume day to day so I can review it. Um, now, we're going to follow guidelines. I want you to have a handful of protein every meal. I want you to have three to four handfuls of veggies per day. I want you to have one to two handfuls of fruit per day. I want you to add carbs, starchy carbs, pre and post-workout, just one fistful, right? I want you to add a thumb of fat in each meal. So now we have a balanced diet without worrying about anything. The problem is, is calories are going to undulate day to day, so they're never going to be accurate across the board. They're going to fluctuate up and down, but that's their choice. So we have to do what we can to get the client results without trying to change the ideology or what that client wants to do. Like as a coach, it's your job to work with what they will give you. Now, what I will say is there's a lot of times where I will go through this with a client and it'll work. We're planning, we're following guidelines, we're just chasing habits. We're quote unquote eating clean. Like we're definitely targeting a more whole food approach and we're not being nearly as flexible because the reality is, is in order to be flexible, you need to have calories and macros to look at. doesn't mean we're not doing like a free meal every week or like every once in a while allowing something. But um, the only way to manage being overly flexible or allowing a lot of flexibility day to day inside your diet is going to be to track macros so you can determine how much of that is being flexible. So we're following a really whole food approach and this is going to work, especially if they've never tracked macros, they've never done anything. This is going to work fantastic. We're using intuition, we're using habits, we're using guidelines, we're teaching them these sustainable habits. Um, and after a while, we'll see if they plateau. They will because everybody plateaus at some point. And once they do plateau, that's when I'm going to say, hey, you've reached a plateau. It's been three or four weeks. You haven't lost any weight. We're at a point where we have to start looking at metrics. So I want to try to encourage you to track macros again. Two, one of two things are going to happen. Now, if we hit a plateau and I feel like I can say, hey, I want you to pull out your pre-workout carbs and only have a fistful of carbs post-workout, then boom, we're fine, 
right? We just inherently dropped 30 grams of carbs. We cut calories that way, and they're going to see results again. They don't know that we're cutting calories, or they don't know the reason behind it is a macro or caloric uh, deficit, but we did that naturally. So that's always an option too. But if somebody's seen success through this for a while and they hit a plateau, they're usually going to buy into macros at some point because the reality is, is what you're doing, what you did to get the results you got won't continue to get you the results you want to get. If you're not where you want to be, you need to stop doing what you're doing. Like it's just a reality. It's just a fact of success, right? Like things need to adapt as results progress. So it's usually pretty easy to talk people into it at that point because you just say like, hey, I know originally you didn't want to track macros. Uh, We've done really well not tracking macros and you've made a ton of progress. And even better, you've built some habits that are going to carry on for the rest of your life. However, you've met a pretty big plateau. We've been stuck here for about a month and I know you want to see more progress. I know you want to push these results further. And I believe the best way to do that is for us to have some kind of data or metrics. So if we can track your macros on a regular basis, I can see the numbers behind what you're doing. And when I can see the numbers, I can more easily create structure and plans for you that are going to guarantee success. What do you say? Nine times out of 10, they're like, yep, I'm in. Let's do it. Because they know it's not permanent. It's a temporary thing to get them through this plateau. Um, So that's usually how I would approach that. Miranda.p1983. Even rhymes. How would you heal leaky gut? Um, It's really case dependent. Um, Usually uh, an elimination diet will help. So... Usually if we have somebody has leaky gut, it's usually coming from a specific food they're consuming or stress. So if they have an autoimmune related issue, which leads to leaky gut, then or it's that's what it is, it's leaky gut itself. Um, usually it's gonna be stress related. So we might look at all the stresses in the life. Are you training too hard? Or do you have external stresses? Do you have lifestyle stresses, work stresses? Are you in a huge deficit and you've been in a deficit for too long? So hormonally you're just really taxed and stressed out, which is gonna affect your nervous system and your gut, causing leaky gut. Um, it's the same thing, like the same thing happens like IBS, things like that too. Um, or it's going to be a specific ingredient. It's very rarely like, Hey, I think I'm, my, my diet is too high in protein or, Hey, I think my diet's too high in carbs and it's causing me to have leaky gut. It's like, no, I think your diet's high in carbs, but you fill your carbs with gluten based carbs and that gluten you have a to- intolerance to, and it's causing leaky gut. So usually we'll do an elimination diet. It's as, it's as simple as that. Um, if an elimination diet does not work, then we might go an inch further and we might do like an AIP, an autoimmune protocol. Uh, or no, autoimmune pro- paleo. It's AIP paleo. So I think it might be autoimmune protocol paleo, but it's basically an elimination diet to the 10th degree. So you go from elimination diet to go even a step further and you're cutting out things like coffee and like, I mean like everything. Um, so you go even further down the, the rabbit hole of elimination, eliminating uh, quote unquote unpaleolithic foods. Um, but that's the route I take. I mean, there's no, there's no better route than, I mean, you're not going to take a probiotic and fix it. Like you need to eliminate the root cause of what's creating leaky gut in the first place. And that's usually going to be a specific food intolerance, or it's going to be some kind of stress that's taking over. Pakail underscore Atala. Sorry if I butchered that. How do you help your clients understand that eating more helps their body composition change? Um, So I think we have to rephrase this. How do you help your clients understand that eating more helps their body composition change? 
I, I don't explain that. I don't help them understand that. I help them understand that eating less is going to create further adaptation and make less not work for more. And what I mean by that is eating less and less and less isn't going to infinitely work to lose more. But theoretically, by science, we do know that a deficit leads to fat loss. So I have to explain that theory to them. I think, I think telling them flat out like, hey, we need to eat more to lose weight, I think that's the wrong approach because that's not true. We need to create a deficit. And they need to understand that the science behind fat loss is a caloric deficit leads to weight loss. That's, that's the reality. So if we tell them the opposite, they're going to get real confused with everything they're seeing in the media. They're going to think people are lying to them. And that's not the case. Um, I will explain to them like, hey – You're not eating enough food for your body to recover, not your hormones, not your muscles, not your nervous system. And what happens after you diet for too long is you create these hormonal and metabolic adaptations. These adaptations lead to a slowdown in the processes of your body. And when we see a slowdown in the processes of your body, we see a slowdown in fat loss. Now you're at a point where it's almost unsustainable. We couldn't pull more more calories. And even if we did, it might not lose you more weight because the more calories we pull, the more stress your body is, the more inflammation and cortisol goes up, which is going to block fat loss as well. So it it really comes down to explaining to these people like, hey, eating more is not going to necessarily make you lose weight. Now, we might add calories and you might lose weight, but that's going to be a result of adding calories Your metabolism might speed up a little bit, but more than likely, it's creating more energy so you can recover uh, faster on a muscular level. You're probably training a little bit harder. Therefore, your energy expenditure goes up in the gym. And whether you realize it or not, subconsciously, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis goes up as well. So when we increase calories, you naturally stand more, walk more, fidget more, blink more, talk more, chew more, faster, so on and so forth. So I explain it that way because when – they lose weight from more food, they're going to think, hey, let's just keep eating more food and we're going to keep losing weight. Well, it's like, well, that's not always going to happen. There's a threshold for that, right? There's a barrier for that. So I, my whole thing is like, let's educate them on the process of metabolic adaptation in as simple of a way that's li- as little, literally as simply and just not confusing as possible for a general population client. You've dieted too long. Your body's really stressed out. When stress outweighs recovery, your body will stop losing weight and we can't continue to put it in that pit. So right now, we need to double down on recovery so recovery outweighs your stress. Once we get it to that point through bringing your calories up, we're going to be able to train harder. We're going to be able to increase knee. We're going to sleep better. You're going to be able to maintain that higher weight and higher caloric intake, possibly the same weight you're at now depending on how your body responds. But we're going to be able to maintain that for a little bit and just focus on you. Just focus on feeling better. Once you feel 100% across the board in biofeedback, at that point, we will be able to create a deficit. And that deficit is going to lead to weight loss because, yes, you were right in trying to lower your calories. Less calories typically equals more weight loss, but it's not an infinite path. We need to implement diet breaks, refeeds, maintenance phases, things like this in order to continue that path. That's why your diet worked really well for you at the beginning and it stopped working for you along the way. That's exactly how I would explain it to a normal client that doesn't understand uh, the process and who I need to let them know that eating more is the answer. PW Fitness Coaching, best advice to grow a fitness business other than great free content. I have no other advice. No, um, I mean kind of. But So I think this depends. Uh, I'm not going to speak on gym owners because if you own a physical location at a gym, you're looking to grow your membership there. It's a completely different ballgame than online business. Um, 
they have two different strategies. Uh, I mean, in-person coaching, you're going to want to connect your community. You're going to want to put on charity events. You're going to want to go door to door. You're going to want to connect with local companies. Um, you're going to possibly run Facebook advertising and things like that while targeting people in your local uh, location or, or within a specific radius. Like a lot of those things work for a lot of uh, the gym owners I know and a lot of the um, – I even mentor a co uh, coach a couple of gym owners – and those things work well. Um, for online coaching, like to be honest with you, man, it really does come down to a lot of free content. I don't, I don't like speaking on business and stuff like that on the podcast and in my content too much because that's not what I do it for. I do it to help people with training and nutrition. That's my, that's my specialty. That's, that's what I do is I, I take the science and I make it a more – I take the science and I interpret it in a more – that's the word I was looking for. I couldn't think of that word for some reason – I interpret it in a more practical and applicable way to the general population or the average people trying to be shredded or above average lean. Like that's my job with this stuff. So I don't like speaking on business specifically too much, but I actually do think in this day and age, I think the answer is like building trust, uh, like becoming an expert and delivering it through free content. So like my role, my job the last eight years has been to study every fucking day and get as good as I can to be the best coach possible for myself to be the most knowledgeable person myself and be as well educated as possible inside of training and nutrition and lifestyle. And then it is to relay that message in a practical and applicable way through free content to teach people this stuff before they even need to hire me because I actually care about helping people. That's, that's what this is all about. Um, and I think when your foundation and your passion and your purpose is strong, I think that trust is grown and I think you can have a successful business. Um, the reality of that information is it's not strategical whatsoever. It's, it's not a guaranteed path to success for anybody listening to this. It's just, that's just my truth. I, I love this stuff with a passion. Um, I appreciate the science and the education and the evidence and I absolutely am obsessed with delivering it through free content. Um, and I believe that's what uh, has allowed us to grow a team and, and help people around the world. I mean, we have a team full of badasses and um, I'm going to, I wasn't going to announce this, but I'm going to post about it soon, but shout out to Adam Willoughby, who is in London, who just joined our team. He is the new boom, boom performance coach. Um, I've been mentoring him for over a year. So he is literally groomed for this position. Um, literally such a good fucking human being. Like I'm super excited for him to join the team just on a human level, human connection level. He is a good fucking person. And I appreciate him as a man so much. I know he's going to listen to this. Um, he's probably blushing right now because he's a humble motherfucker, but um, love that dude to death. He's such a good guy and he's extremely knowledgeable, extremely experienced, been training people for years, has a really cool background in fighting and Muay Thai and stuff like that. Um, and he is our next nutrition coach. Uh, so, uh, but part of that growth, part of building this team of badasses, it's just all been through human connection and building relationships and just really, really loving the science and really loving the education side of things. And that's the best advice I can personally give. Um, I, with my mentor clients, we talk about other things because other things are going on and it's all so individual. Everybody's business is different. Everybody's demographic is different, so on and so forth. Everybody's passion is different. I just think that the best thing for any coach or fitness business owner listening to this to do is really start with your passion and, and engulf yourself with the process. And I think if you do that, I think you'll come out on the other end right. Lori Cohen, in a deficit right now, five times a week, so I'm assuming she has one refeed a week, for six weeks now and no fat lost. Just keep being patient. No, I would absolutely change things. If you've been at it for six weeks, you haven't made a single adjustment and you haven't lost any weight. Um, spoiler alert, not really because um, I haven't posted it yet. But 
um, I'm going to share something I wrote today that I'm going to post here in a little bit when I get off this podcast. Um, eight ways to adjust your nutrition for progress. Actually, I need to change that because it's 10 ways. Um, but drop your calories 5 to 10%. It's simple, effective, and repeatable. If you have room to drop your calories, simply make a calorie adjustment. Don't change your refeed day. Just drop your calories 5 to 10%. Sometimes we have to change refeed day too, but in general, just change that. You can increase your energy expenditure via cardio. Um, I wouldn't jump to like four sessions of 40 minutes right out the gate. So start with a minimal effective dose with like two sessions of 30 minutes or three sessions of 20 minutes because if less will work, why not? Like why do more? Um, Add a deficit day. So like one day a week, drop your calories significantly. Uh, Usually this is best like on a rest day and you could do it with like some intermittent fasting and just drop carbs by like 50 plus percent. Keep fats and protein adequate to just keep satiation high. Uh, But that's an easy way to do it. Make a low calorie day. Uh, Add hit finishers to the end of your lifting training, like just four to six minutes of hit intervals. Increase your NEAT, so just walk more throughout the day. Um, If you're super stressed after six weeks, if you're dieting hard, so if you took an aggressive approach for six weeks and your biofeedback is kind of tanked, I would suggest a diet break for anywhere between three to seven full days at maintenance calories and just let your body heal and recover and go back into the deficit right after that. That usually works really well. Um, Change your macro periodization up. Maybe five days uh, a week. Oh, so if you're in a deficit five days a week, you have two refeed days a week. Yeah, this is a perfect example. If you're in a deficit five days a week, uh, it might not be long enough. Some people, it's not like having two refeed days a week is great for some people. And for some people, five days in a row isn't long enough in a deficit. And I see this all the time too. Five-two is a great split, but for some people, it's not enough. So if you're at six weeks of this, I would maybe push it to like 10 days in a deficit and three days refeeding. Like that macro periodization change usually helps quite a bit for some individuals. Um, I would say be more patient and consistent. That was one of my things on this, but I don't think you need to because six weeks, no loss, you should probably make an adjustment. Um, Manage stress better. So if you're trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight, but if you honestly asked yourself and audited the rest of your life, sleep, work, family, stress, relationship, all those other things, training, are you overly stressed? If you're overly stressed, you're in a recovery debt And if you're in a recovery debt, you're not going to be able to lose weight. Um, The last thing I have on here is eat like a bro. Like people always think I'm joking when I say this, but the reality is, is like sometimes people become too flexible. And when you eat like a bro and you eat really whole foods and you're eating sweet potato and chicken and turkey and rice and things like that, the accuracy of the metrics. uh, So like the food labels is so much more on point. There's not that huge margin of error and your macros will be more on point. If we're being too flexible inside of our diet, our calories are probably bouncing up and down a little bit more than we actually know in in what our MyFitnessPal actually says. So some days you have lower, some days you have higher. And because of that, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no consistency. So for a lot of people, it's like, hey, let's eat like a bro for a little bit and see if that helps. So those are like my strategies that I would give to you in order to try to break through that. But No matter what, you're probably going to want to change something if you've gone six weeks and you haven't lost any weight. Kelsey.Caesar, how do you prefer to adjust nutrition for pre-slash-menopausal, so pre- or pre-menopausal women who weight loss has stalled? This one's tough. A lot of times it comes down to uh, adjusting training because too much high-intensity or high-volume training can 
put too much stress on the body and that will stop things. Um, sometimes it's environmental or just lifestyle stressors again, because again, like you got to remember, like that's a big stress on the female body. So trying to eliminate other stressors is probably going to be a good route. Um, sometimes going with like a keto or a low carb approach will work well because, um, menopause can possibly cause some insulin resistance. Um, and it can be a period of time where a low carb approach can work. Like a modified keto is great, really low carb. So like no starches, maybe a serving of fruit a day and then just veggies. So like pretty low carb, less than hundred grams, pretty high fat to help with inflammation, and insulin sensitivity, and then a good enough protein to make sure we're recovering well. That usually works pretty well with women. Um, and then sometimes there's premenopausal women or menopausal women that use that as a crutch. Uh, I know it's a difficult thing to go through, but I've seen women who have gone through it and we've made a simple adjustment to their nutrition or lifestyle like I just mentioned in the last question and boom, they see weight loss. So there was no magic trick because of menopause. It was just that, hey, we just need to create a bigger deficit because your body's not burning calories at the rate we thought it was, or we think it should. Um, so sometimes it's reducing stress. Sometimes it's changing training. Sometimes it's just making a deficit because it's not the reason you're not losing weight. Um, and other times a low carb diet tends to work pretty well. And then there's the obvious thing too. Like if, if you get your hormones tested and there's imbalances in estrogen and things like that, then you can go deeper and start looking at specific supplements and thing in adaptogens and try to go that route. But that's usually like my last, my last path that I'll take. All right, last question today. It's a good one. Christiana Funmi, of all the books you have read to date, which ones would you like to see being adapted into a movie? Such a cool question. Um, my, the first thing that comes to mind actually was adapted into a miniseries, and that's Wayward Pines. It's the best fictional book I have ever read. Um, I got really into it. Um, it's a series. It's a three-book series. But it got adapted into a uh, like a 10-episode miniseries on Fox, was pretty good. I think the book was way better, uh, but they did a good job with the the series. I enjoyed it. Me and Shannon watched it. Um, but they tried to make a season two, and I didn't like that because whenever a book is actually done and the season actually done, and then it is over, and then they try to extend it by creating new scenarios and shit, I think that I don't think that is a good way to end. Um, speaking of which, I just finished the ending of Game of Thrones, and it's not. Very pleased with the ending of that television show. Just going to throw that out there. Um, other than that, it's hard to say because I, I haven't read a ton of fiction books, to be honest with you. Um, I would say The Traveler's Gift would be cool to see. It's it's about a guy who goes into a, like a coma kind of. Like he gets in a car accident. I think it's been a while since I read it. And he goes through these different things while he's in that coma. He meets like uh, different influential figures like Abraham Lincoln. He meets somebody from the Bible. He meets uh, another religious figure from a different religion. He, he meets all these different people and they all teach him a lesson. But he basically is in a coma and he gets like – it's almost like uh, – the, the Gift of Christmas Past or whatever that movie is where, like, they go in the past and he's, like, going through that. It's kind of like that in different scenarios and different influential figures. That would be a really cool book to see come to life. Um, and then I would say The Alchemist. The Alchemist would be a great book to come to life because it's, it's, it's just such a classic. I've read it so many times and it's such a powerful journey and powerful. I can't believe it's not a, a movie, actually. I might have to write a director and send an email because that's, that's crazy. I can't believe that's not a movie yet. Um, the Alchemist would be amazing as a movie. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. 
it still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.